Hello, welcome to episode 171 of the Fertility Podcast. I can't believe I'm not far off 200. How are you? I'm Natalie Silverman, your host, looking out at some blossom on a sunny Sunday as I uh, record this intro. I'm not pacing the streets this time. I hope wherever you're listening, you've had some glorious weather because we have in the UK and apparently it's going to turn, which is so annoying because... It literally puts a spring in everybody's step, but it's still February, we're all getting ahead of ourselves. The daffodils are completely confused. Anyway, I wanted to just give you a little overview if this is your first listen. The Fertility Podcast is for you if you're just wanting to understand more about things that you can do on your on your route to parenthood. Maybe you've been listening for a while as I've been getting some amazing emails. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell me what you think of this podcast, whether you do it on my Facebook page, which is The Fertility Podcast, or via my social channels, which on Twitter and Instagram are at Fertility Poddy. I really find it just so humbling when you tell me that the podcast has been helpful, especially when you say you've been listening for some time. And I know that there's so many more podcasts to take up your time. And it's, it is time consuming to dedicate this much of your ear holes to someone like me chattering away about something that I hope is of relevance. So never underestimate what that means to me to hear from you. I wanted to let you know about an event that I'm involved with, which if you are anywhere in the north of the UK, I've joined up with a group of brilliant people. We've made a little gang called Talk Fertility. And on Saturday, the 23rd of March, we're doing an evening event. It's the first evening of the Fertility Show in Manchester, which you've probably heard me talk about the fact that I'm hosting the Let's Talk Fertility stage over the two days. What we're doing is we're putting on a series of of fertility education events giving you access to people who you can chat with from experts to people working in the field there's myself there's a lovely lady called Rosie who's a nutritional therapist Lucy and Kobe who are behind Dr Fertility which is an amazing website with loads of different products to help you whilst you're trying to conceive as well as they provide trusted information there's Mel Johnson who's been a guest of mine before who has gone down the solo motherhood route and we're working with Manchester Fertility which is a clinic based up here they're going to bring some of their experts and what we really want to achieve is the amazingness that happens in the online space but in person so I'm sorry if you're not nearby we are doing a number of these events though over the coming months but if you are and you'd like to come, we're going to be serving some fertility-friendly food and a drink. So that's all within your ticket price. And it would just be ace to get to meet you. So check out the show notes at the end of this episode because I will be putting the link to Eventbrite where you can get hold of the tickets. And tell your friends, bring your friends. It's going to be really relaxed. Don't feel intimidated by this. We just want to kind of show you that there is support, face-to-face support for you that's accessible and hopefully you know you'll you'll meet some other people who just get what it's like bring your partners just know you're not alone that's the main point of all the work I'm doing really is to give you that companion to be that pal if you feel you can't tell anybody what's going on now we're currently in my alternative parenting series for the podcast I hope you've listened to some of my previous episodes and we are going to be hearing today from Michael and Wes who have a website called Two Daddies they're two gay guys who 
have had a baby through surrogacy. They're about to have their second. And they are doing a huge amount of work to raise the profile of surrogacy as an option, predominantly in the UK. But wherever you are listening, if you're thinking about going down the surrogacy route and you're in a same-sex couple and you're wanting to know how to go about it, then these guys will talk you through what happened with them and give you lots to think about. And there's so much on their social channels for you to go and read and find out more about. Before we start the show, though, this podcast would not happen without the support of my sponsors. So here's a bit about them. This podcast is sponsored by International Andrology, who specialise in diagnosing and treating male infertility. Around 50% of infertility issues are male factor, and all too often, men aren't even evaluated at the start of a fertility journey, which might result in unnecessary treatments, costs and disappointment. International Andrology is one of the few specialist clinics in the UK offering a holistic approach to increase your chances to conceive naturally or via the IVF route. As well as treating the underlying causes of male infertility, their doctors have some of the highest success rates in microsurgical sperm retrieval. So, if you're looking for a true specialist to assist you on your fertility journey, visit london-andrology.co.uk today and do mention the Fertility Podcast. Bud Fertility Supplements have been created to support you in your pursuit of parenthood. Whether you're just starting out or have been trying to conceive for a while, Bud's innovative vegan formulas contain adaptogens, minerals and vitamins proven to support vital aspects of reproductive health and function. Go to littlebud.com and use the code FP20 to receive 20% off your order. So go forth and multiply. So I'm really chuffed to welcome Michael and Wes to the podcast, to my alternative parenting season. Guys, welcome. Hi, how's things? Good. We're talking on a Saturday afternoon ahead of your trip to Ikea. We've had Ah. lots of juggling of dates, so I'm delighted to have been fitted in because um, it's all kind of pretty busy with where you guys are, which we'll talk about more exactly where you are on your journey. Um, thank you for finding time to fit me in before you go into flat pat furniture land. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Any distractions are, are welcome. <laughs> I want to just really talk about your journey, the brilliant work you're doing, the communities that you've created. I know, Michael, that you're the driving force. You're the man with the phone in his hands to your own to your own admission. Um, I know. Tell me what came first, the, the journey or the website sharing of it? I'm assuming that the journey started and then once you were like in it and on it you decided to start sharing is that right yeah that's correct we we started our treatment back at the end of sort of 2015 we have a daughter through uk surrogacy gestational surrogacy so we we had anonymous egg donor and uh, a surrogate in the uk and that's when our fertility journey started and our daughter was born in 2016 and that's then when we began to go public i guess and start banging the drum a little bit more about same-sex parenting and surrogacy in the UK. So that initial stages of deciding that you're going to go ahead, to, you want to become parents and you're going to go down the surrogacy route, finding your surrogate, how easy was that? It started off being a bit of a minefield. Yeah. So we we had a good two, three years of researching surrogacy generally before we decided to go through the UK. So we we explored international surrogacy um, and it it just didn't feel right for us. There were a number of issues or complications. There was a a cost was a massive factor, um, certainly for the US. 
Uh, but we did look at the likes of India and Nepal and Thailand and Guadalajara in Mexico. Um, but for a number of reasons, really, the, the exit process uh, was a bit sketchy um, and or it just wasn't a viable route for surrogacy, particularly for same sex. So we um, we opted to, to go down the UK route. And we then started looking at all of the places where we could uh, engage with surrogates. And we, we looked at the, the not-for-profits that are in the, the space. So there are, there are three. And we had conversations with those. But at that particular point in 2015, when we were really ramping up to start, there was a block on intended parents registering because there was just a... a it was out of sync with the number of intended parents and the number of surrogates that were wanting to help intended parents. And was that across the three agencies, you, the, the three organisations you've just mentioned? It was, it, it was, it was, a, it was definitely across two. Right. Uh, our preferred, I guess out of the three, we, we really formed a, a liking and a bond to Surrogacy UK. Yeah. Such great guys over there. And we, we you know, we, we networked with them sort of on the phone initially and, and a meeting but we then because of that particular uh, issue we decided to to what they call go independent so finding a surrogate and matching ourselves and at this point had any of your friends gone down this route were you able to talk with them or was this just finding your feet and carving the path out just the two of you at this point at the time uh, we actually didn't know anyone uh gone through this process and I think we just kind of ventured out on our own and kind of just do what we thought we needed to do to make it happen and you know we learned a lot along the way there was a lot of hurdles that we didn't anticipate but I think that that's kind of what drives us more now to uh, really want to kind of help people because you know like Michael mentioned we we first initially our first when we talked about surrogacy our first instinct was international yeah and I think it's about raising the profile that it doesn't necessarily need to be international now if you have a preference now and an international is an option for you then and if it feels right for you then perfect but we quickly learned that it really wasn't for us and then we started exploring the the UK route and there was a lot of challenges along the way that we experienced right from start to end we managed to get over all of them and it shaped how our journey was, but that's really one of the driving forces for trying to help people post our journey to try and, and help make sure that people don't have to encounter some of the challenges we, we had. And of course, going down our next journey, we're much wiser and a lot more experienced. So. We're hoping that this one will be a little bit more smooth sailing, shall we say? Yeah, well, let's hope so. I mean, in an earlier episode in this particular series, I spoke to a brilliant lawyer called Lois who talks about some of the issues that can happen when it comes to surrogacy law. She was talking about fertility law not being fit for purpose. And I know that there's been constant um, efforts to reform surrogacy law. You've been involved. Let's talk a little bit about, because I want to hear about some of the challenges, but let's just talk a bit about your involvement. You're in Parliament. We're talking at the start of February. You were in Parliament, October 2018, with Andrew Percy and the All-Party Parliamentary Group. Tell me about that experience, because it's brilliant and I know really empowering for you guys, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And it was such an honour to have been recognised for the work that we do for Two Dads UK. So it was, first of all, to be asked was, you know, we were 
I guess the platform had been raised and we were on the radar. Um, and then we were called upon to give our lived experience um, as two parents through UK surrogacy. Um, so we, we went along in October and we met Andrew and, and there was a the particular day that we were in, there were a number of um, intended parents, there were healthcare professionals uh, and singles and other individuals from the, you know, really representing surrogacy uh, and some international and some, some UK. Um, so to, to, to get that initial platform and to be invited was was incredible. And as far as some of the challenges that you managed to overcome, do you want to give me some examples? The glaringly obvious issue with where the current surrogacy law is, is outdated is around the parental order. Yeah. So obviously for those that aren't aware, when you have a child through UK surrogacy, uh, or the parental order process applies to if you're having a child internationally, mm. you still need to go through the PO process. But the, where the law's slightly out of kilter here is that the surrogate and their husband, if they're married, are the legal parents of your child when that child is born, which is bonkers, obviously. Mm. So you have to go through the parental order process. Um, what we would like to see is that parental order process similar to how it is in the States. And that paperwork can be submitted at point of conception um, and that the parental order can be granted at birth rather than currently you have to wait till your child six weeks and one day old and then your paperwork can go into the to the court. And the ridiculous thing about that, of course, is if there's any medical treatment needed or just any issue, then you're not the official parent. It's just insane, isn't it? It is. And, that, and I think that's one of the scary things for us is, and it's something that we needed to really outline and plan for right from the start. And that's some, some of the advice we would give to intended parents about uh, making sure that everyone's on the same page and planning. But as an example, is if when our child was born they needed any kind of specialist care mm. the hospital trust would need consent from the surrogate so it's 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 a challenge just to make sure that uh, all of those things are in in place beforehand and it's quite scary when you realize that you could potentially uh, be out of that control yeah. and even it being your child you wouldn't have that that consent which you know is is something that it's a, it's 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 kind of a worst case scenario, but you need to plan for everything, and that's probably one of our biggest mm-hmm. uh, pieces of advice yeah. to the intended parents going through this process: is plan for everything and make sure that you and all parties involved are on the same page, and you all have everything principally agreed in advance. And one of the points that Lois, uh, the lawyer I mentioned, raised was the ideal is to have a single surrogate so that then you are the biological the sperm donor not that you use a sperm donor because it was i'm assuming your sperm you were the biological father if it was a single surrogate so am i right to say that you had a, your surrogate was married she was yeah so with that in mind just talking about your sperm if you don't mind um <laughs> go for it that process i mean did you both have a go no and i think this was really straightforward for us wasn't it Wes? really yeah i mean for, for i have a, a dog daughter from a previous straight marriage Uh, she's 14 now so for us that topic of conversation around we like to call it who's the daddy uh, is uh, was actually quite straightforward because uh, I already had a biological child and uh, I wanted Michael to have that same kind of experience so it was a really straightforward conversation for us but I think 
we now know other people who are going through this process and trying to agree who will go first if you like yeah. it's is quite a challenging topic and it can cause uh, quite fric- it can be quite frictious in some some relationships because mm. i've worked with surrogacy uk and i know in one of the conversations i was having with a surrogate and she was working with a gay couple they were the, the guys were alternating months to to see because i don't think they could reach the decision of who it was going to be so it was you know whoever whoever it works with yeah so i know that Tallulah, your first child through surrogacy that that worked first time was that the first round of treatment is that right yeah we were really lucky Brilliant. so we 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 transferred an embryo transfer on the 13th of February 2016 and yeah two week wait came and we we were pregnant and she was born 30 38 weeks in October 2016 so it was it was a breeze work first time and a, and, a, and a great pregnancy so we were really fortunate and you found that surrogate like you say independently so you were I'm assuming in Facebook groups or were you given some advice from some of the surrogacy associations that you'd you've been speaking with initially yeah we we had and we took a lot of the surrogacy uk model to how we approached this which is very much friendship first isn't it absolutely that so we before we started treatment us and our surrogate we maintained a friendship for 11 months before we started any treatment yeah great so you know we met her kids we met her husband katie met her you know that's our daughter met met their family and we'll just let that develop because it had to feel right and with that friendship had to be exactly tight so that was the friendship path that we that we took with our surrogate and you know we took the advice that we had from the likes of surrogacy uk and and i guess we we adapted it we we still followed we took legal advice we drafted an intention agreement jointly with our surrogate we went into this, you know, bolts and braces, and and uh, uh, yeah, and that that was that was how we how we went. And I know that you also put an emphasis on the guidelines for healthcare professionals about how to treat surrogates and IPs, because I heard just ridiculous stories of handovers in car parks and just the hospital staff not getting their head around, you know, the the baby handover, which sounds just the wrong way to, to describe it. What was your experience like? Well, unfortunately, our experience uh, in the planning stages looked like it was heading in that direction. Right. Uh, we quite early on engaged with, with our trust, started working through what the birthing plan would look like. And we quickly realised that the, the the trust policies weren't aligned with what we expected our experience to be. So we our expectation wasn't anything, you know, wild. We mm. just wanted to have the same experience as any other couple having children. We wanted to, it to be as straightforward as possible. We wanted our surrogate to be considered and made sure she was comfortable and, and looked after uh, and we wanted it just to be, we, we wanted to walk out with our child yeah. with the balloons into the car park and go home yeah. like anyone else does. And we didn't for a second think we wouldn't have had, had that experience. But when we started walking through the birthing plan, it became quite apparent that we weren't going to get what we wanted or what we expected. So we kind of came away from that initial meeting and kind of tried to digest exactly what they were proposing to us. And at that time, I remember having a conversation with Michael saying, it just doesn't feel right. It's it's not fair and it doesn't feel right. What were they so, proposing? Well, they were proposing things like we would have to hand over the, baby our baby in the car, in the car park. Park. God, it yeah. frustrates Off hospital so premises. 
you know, like and it's, it's this naughty, sordid thing. It's insane. Yeah, it was. And, and there were a number of things, really, just with, you know, our presence on the maternity ward. I think, I think that people don't realise that there are some little things to us that are really important that may seem quite insignificant to other people. So, for instance, for us, the name tag of our child being in our name when that baby's born mm. was really important for us. For them, it just didn't see, oh, it had to be, uh, you know, the surrogate's uh, name and the bit. And we were like, but that's not, that that won't be our baby's name. So it, it, although it seems quite trivial things, it was a real, some of these things were really important to us. And it's things like, us having access to our child straight after mm. and things like in theory because our surrogate had an elective cesarean we weren't at that point able to see our child being born which you know now we look back on it it's not fair I mean fortunately when the, the birthing plan that we agreed was that we'd be in the side room and then uh, our surrogate's husband would bring the baby through mm. to us and that's at the, our first contact but what happened was when our surrogate went into labor and she was being prepped for surgery she asked the surgeon if we could come in and see it which we didn't expect and we we you know we agreed but we were allowed into theater and we saw Tallulah being born which was an amazing experience, yeah. and one we'll never forget and we're, we're grateful for. But on the top side of all this is when we left that initial planning meeting around our birthing plan and we said to each other this wasn't right, we then took legal advice. And what happened as a, as a kind of a consequence from that is that our legal team did intend to sue the trust on grounds of discrimination because there were there were multiple points at which they were discriminating against us. Mm. I mean, it's really good to hear that you had really kind of methodically thought it through. You sought advice, which is the advice that Lois gives, is to really be clear at the outset of every eventuality so that, you know, you are covered. And to, to be bold enough to stand your ground and... I know that's a big part of the work that you're doing now is to help others overcome these these challenges which sadly do continue. From that experience you're now in a very exciting place where you're expecting your second child through a surrogate so be third in your family. Are you working with the same surrogate? We are yeah same surrogate. She always agreed when we had Tallulah that she would want to do a sibling journey for us. Right. Yeah that's just tremendous. So uh, this time um, it was Wes's turn. <laughs> this pregnancy um, is biologically Wes's, whereas Tallulah was was mine. So great that we're we're so lucky and fortunate to be pregnant again um, after the AFAL transfer last summer. Um, this transfer was successful that took place in December. Sorry guys, one second. I've just got a little visitor. Um, <laughs> say hello. I want something else. Come and say hello first. This is Michael and Wes. Say hello. I want to... Say hello to them. No, he's not playing ball. I want <laughs> Has Dumbo finished? Yeah. Already? Yeah. Can you just give me one second, guys? Yeah, sure. I'll just quickly just change the channel. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Just a brief interlude there, a bit of behind the scenes of uh, what happens when you try to record a podcast episode on a Saturday. Right, let's catch up with the guys again. So it was a failed embryo transfer. So you got to that point and then it didn't take. Yeah, so, so this time around, obviously, we've used Wes's sperm, same surrogate. We started on this journey sort of last year, didn't we? Start of yeah. the year. Yeah. And then we had a transfer in June and unfortunately that, that didn't take. So... We took the decision to have a, a little break. We had a sort of four, three, four months out and we changed clinics. We moved our clinic to a, to a London-based clinic. We were with a Manchester-based clinic 
and we then continued our treatment, had our eggs all retrieved and fertilized, which was, we had some good results there. And then we transferred in December and then our two week wait fell on New Year's Eve. Wow. Um, I know, but uh, we, we got the, we got the pink line that, that yeah. everyone wants, which was fantastic news. The second time around, you've obviously been down this journey before, but you had success first time. And so what kind of support or um, how were you feeling, you know, when it didn't work? Because obviously, you know, you've got your own disappointment, but I'm assuming that there's that responsibility of the the welfare of your surrogate. And I thought I read something about it being near her 40th birthday at the time or she was, was she about to turn 40? Yeah, it's, uh, it was her 40th birthday, actually, last month. January, yeah. January, yeah. Uh, and I think because we'd been so fortunate with our first attempt and Tallulah as the result of that, I think we expected it to be uh, as straightforward as the other, you know, as Tallulah was. So I think we were actually quite obviously disappointed, but I think we just expected it to work because we'd got it first time previously. Yeah, yeah. So I think the expectation was, and I think that's why we kind of, just took stock of what we were doing, took mm. some time out because it, you know, it's very intense. It's emotionally draining, financially draining, uh, and it's just, you know, quite a, a tough situation. And often you're doing it without people knowing, so it's difficult for people to understand what you're going through. Yeah. So this time we we were very open with it and we were blogging it, so which also made it worse when it wasn't successful as yeah, well. Bet. So. But I guess that was part of the honesty of why we wanted to blog it, you know, because we we were fortunate last time. And when we started blogging last year, um, you know, we, we've said to one another, you know, we're going to bear all here and we're going to talk about things that people don't want to talk about or refuse to talk about. So whether this goes well or whether it's the outcome that we, we want, we just don't know. And we decided to continue blogging through the the good days and the bad days because we wanted to still demonstrate that, you know, this journey is still accessible. We've learned a ton of stuff. Um, we wanted to continue to talk about surrogacy and give people hope that you don't have to disappear abroad to to create your family. And that's why we continued blogging. And I think you also have to consider as well, we're not just considering our family here, there's our surrogates family and they have plans and they kind of put everything on hold. So our decision to uh, take a bit of a break, we needed to make sure that they were on board with that as well. And also changing clinics uh, to a London-based clinic was a massive decision because originally we'd chosen a Manchester-based clinic because it was very close to our uh, to where our surrogate lived. So, so for her convenience, and ease that's why we chose that clinic so trying to get our uh, surrogate to move to a london-based clinic and for her to travel up and down from manchester to london on a regular basis was you know a big ask and you know selflessly as as typically our surrogate is and most are Mm -hmm. it was not an issue and she just kind of got on with it but i think for her because of it was a big year for her and and as being pregnant takes up and consumes yeah, most of your, your life during that period, she wanted it to be started as soon as possible. Yeah. And your decision to change clinics, and uh, by all means, you know, I don't want you to kind of name names or anything. Well, I know it's you, it's quite publicly on your, on your documenting of it, but was there main reasons for it? 
Yeah, there was actually. After the last transfer that failed mm. when we were in Manchester, and we had a real love for that particular clinic because it was where Tallulah was conceived, and we, we, you know, there are members of that team that that were there with us from the beginning. So it was a real pull to to make that decision to walk away from them. Um, but the main reason was we lost all our embryos when our transfer failed. So we, we had five other embryos that were ready to be frozen. And on the fifth day, it was actually the sixth day, they all failed. So not only did the transfer fail two weeks later, all of our embryos also didn't um, develop. Right. So we were left with nothing. We didn't have anything frozen. So we had to go on a waiting list for eggs and they didn't have, we wanted to change that donor and they didn't have anything matching our criteria and we would probably have to wait around six months. And we didn't know whether that was within all of our timeframes because as Wes mentioned, yeah. you know, our surrogate had a big year earlier this year. And we just took the decision again Wes and I have this mantra you know if it it just felt right and it just didn't feel right at that point to continue our treatment with that clinic so we knew that CRGH in London um, didn't have a wait list for um, for their egg bank so it's it's quite well known in in, in the London market that they they don't have a, a wait list so that was why we opted to choose CRGH okay And I know that you now have your Two Dads UK Facebook page. And Michael, I know you co-run a same-sex parents Facebook page. And I'll put all the links in the show notes for this. All the work that you're doing and continuing to do, you talk about how you've always wanted to educate people about same-sex surrogacy in the UK. As you say, you're still seeing couples spend their life savings, sell their homes, borrow from families to raise over 100 grand to head over to across the pond into a commercial surrogacy agreement, which, like you say, isn't necessary. And is that your biggest mission, is to really say to people, stay put as much as possible? If, it, if you can, if it fits you know, if it ticks all the boxes, it's much easier, especially with all the legalities that, you know, we've touched on and I've talked about in a previous episode. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just briefly and then I'll hand over to Michael because this is really his bag and he's so passionate about it. But I think for us, it's about letting people know and realise and support of how accessible UK surrogacy actually is, you know, and I think it's accessible now with the outdated laws hopefully look how amazing it will be an opportunity if the law reform comes in Mm. and makes it much much easier for people in the uk to have children without having to remortgage get themselves into massive amounts of debt uh, to to have a family Is is it expected to be this year that reform i know it's like been a really long drawn out process hasn't it yeah it has and i think you you would like to think so. I, I I think a lot of the a lot of Parliament's time at the moment, as we know, is taken don't up with say Brexit. It, don't say it. I know. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't want Brexit in my podcast. No, it's <laughs> First and only mention. It's fine. <laughs> I would love it to be all delivered and debated. There's been some great movement in 2018 mm. with you know, the single person's status. Um, to apply for parental order and then now this debate is just getting more and more traction and so I would love it to to be hopefully all finalized it would just mean everything to so many people and would just change so many people's lives yeah definitely definitely well it's such a delight to speak to you both and I love the work you're doing and it's a really exciting time so when 
Are you expecting when's the baby due? Baby is due on the 4th of September, but but our surrogate always, she never goes past 38 weeks. Right. So we're looking at probably the last week, or third week of August. Right. Yeah, until Lula was born on the day of the, the 38th week, wasn't she? Yeah. So we're, we're expecting this to be like clockwork, hopefully. Wow. Fingers crossed. Well, I will keep checking on your updates. And I must say, I mean, your, your social channels and your blogs, I know, Michael, you're a fiend for it. They are pretty shit hot and up to date. So thank you. Because it's so time consuming with everything else that goes on. With Oh, one thing I did just want to ask, actually, before I let you go. I don't know whether you both work for yourself or whether you're employed in a bigger, you know, kind of bigger corporate way. But how's that been with having time out on parental leave? Um, so we when we had Tallulah, um, I was employed um, by uh, an organisation and I had six weeks leave, which in the grand scheme of things is absolutely nothing. Mm. And Wes had even less because Wes was, was contracting at that particular yeah, point. Yeah, I, I was a contractor on a day rate and so I didn't really have any, any entitlement. So yeah. uh, I had to go back to work pretty, pretty quick. So... You know, it's we just had to kind of manage it. It's, it was never ideal, and you know, on reflection, would we have, or could we have spent more time at home with our new new child? Absolutely, I think anyone would want to spend as much time as possible. Yeah. But there's the practicalities of life. But it's a bit different this time around because I I've got a, a, a medical recruitment business now, and Wes's business is slightly different now too. So, um, and we're a bit more prepared, I think, yeah. for this time. You know, we kind of know how you know how it all works so we kind of have a better understanding and we're going in with our eyes wide open i guess you're going to find out whether you're having a boy or a girl we are yeah so on monday we've actually got our 10 week scan at the okay. clinic and we're going to have some blood tests done okay um, and one of those tests will obviously determine the sex so we'll know then in two weeks time the sex of this one and we're going to find out we didn't with Tallulah but we're, yeah. we're going to find out with this one alright well if you if you share it online then people will be able to uh, know if you decide to share but maybe you want to keep some of these things to yourself until later on I think we'll probably keep it uh, we won't tear it right away but no. I think yeah. we will we will Mike wants to do some like amazing gender reveal but Wes hates them <laughs> <laughs> you guys are involved in Fertility Fest uh, later this year, April and May. I'm going to be there too. What are you doing there? So we're one of the partners um, at the Queer Family event. Yeah. And then we're also speaking um, on one of the, uh, the the Fight Club events, which I'm really excited about. So which we've got a... We are going to be broadcasting on Facebook Live, which is oh, very my exciting. Goodness. I'm going <laughs> to be hosting the Facebook Live aspect of that, so I'll be there with you. And um, if you're listening and you can't make Fertility Fest and you'd love to hear the guys talking, then there you have it. You'll be able to watch on Facebook Live and keep your eyes posted on my socials, the guys' socials, and Fertility Fest as to where it's going to be. Because um, we're trying to get it as far-reaching as we can, so it's very exciting. Amazing. We're really excited about working yeah. with it and we can't wait for the actual event to start. Yeah, it's really going to be great. All right. Well, look, um, I've taken up enough of your time. And as we said at the start, uh, the footprints of Ikea are calling. <laughs> I love the fact that you've left it till Saturday afternoon rather than Saturday <laughs> daytime. There's a, um, a method in the madness. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, look, best of luck with um, Thank you. with your next venture into parenthood. And I look forward to uh, seeing you 
you later in the year and um, of course sharing your story and well like I said we'll put all the details of Facebook groups and all your social channels in the show notes so people can get in touch great perfect thank you so much yeah thank you really appreciate it thank you perfect. take care thank you it's been lovely chatting all right see ya thanks bye all right, so the show notes for my chat with Michael and Wes are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash two gay daddies. Excuse the uh, the background noise, despite my best efforts, my little one Phoenix is sat by me, um, listening to Alpha Blocks, learning his letters, so, you know, we, we can't um, interfere in a child's education, can we, with podcast recording. Go and check out the show notes where you'll also find details of the event I mentioned and the event bright link to get tickets. It'd be amazing to have you there. Also, I wanted to remind you of another project that I have going on, which is the Ultimate Fertility Guide. It's a directory of all different fertility services where I've been trying to get the fertility industry kind of listed in one place. And then I've been creating video interviews with people to give you other ways to understand what they're doing. So if you're up for watching stuff as well as listening to stuff the fertility podcast has a youtube channel it'd be amazing to get you to subscribe because i've just kind of started it and really want to grow it and i'm putting more and more of these five minute q a's with experts and if there are questions you have that you'd like me to ask people within the guide there's clinics there's products there's support organizations there's coaches there's natural fertility therapists please do let me know because the whole point of what I'm doing is trying to get your questions answered in the best way that I can. So email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. If you get the chance to rate and review this podcast via your favourite podcast app, thank you. That would be awesome. And until the next time, 